tryna reel it in, so tell him pay me My brother took offense, I told him he was lazy I been tryna make it out before they slay me They be the ones you least suspect this shit be crazy Told him I was built to win, quit and name me I could give a fuck about what they rate me We used to be so in love, now she hate me Like she ain't want a nigga, baby, this shit crazy When and did that shit again, I put it all in My brother's only ones gonna catch me if I fall in Welcome back to the fourth episode of Legal Feeds. This is your host, the golden one. On this episode, we'll be examining copyrights. We'll be looking at what is a copyright, what are some typical copyright infringements, and what are some exceptions to a copyright infringement claim. While we examine these, we'll also try to look at some interesting cases that relates to copyrights within the fashion industry as a whole. A copyright is a form of intellectual property that offers protection for an original work of authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. While primarily protected by federal statutes, there are a few caveats that are currently relevant to our conversation. Copyright protection is offered to a long list of things, including writings, music, art, photographs, movies, and architectural designs. And to be all and to be afforded this protection, a work must satisfy the three basic elements of originality, creativity, and fixation. Originality refers to the necessity of an original work of authorship being just that, original, and not just an imitation of something else. Creativity refers to the modicum of creativity necessary for an item to be creative enough to be copyrighted. This goes hand in hand with the first point I talked about being originality, being that even if you work on an idea that's been done before, you need to have your own level of originality and creativity to the idea to make it something uniquely its own and not just a recreation or derivative work of somebody else's. The final point to be eligible for a copyright protection is the fixation point. Fixation refers to the need for the work to be, without finding a better word, fixed in a tangible medium. Meaning that this can't just be an ethereal idea or a thought. It has to have a physical, tangible form for it to be afforded copyright protection. Now, the general standard for a copyright protection is the lifetime of the person who made it plus 70 years. And while registration for a copyright is not required, it does help to inform the public of your copyright claim and provide evidence in support of it. The first case we're going to look at in relation to copyright will be Star Athletica versus Varsity Brands. This case mainly focuses on the scope of copyright as it relates to designs. In this particular case, like Varsity Brands had designed and manufactured a line of cheerleading uniforms. They had obtained like the copyrights for it, but Star Athletica decided they was going to release their own line of cheerleading uniforms almost identical to the ones that Varsity 
had copyrighted. This ended up with Varsity suing Star, alleging a violation of their copyright. Among a couple other things, Star counterclaimed, accusing Varsity of making fraudulent representations to the copyright office, as they knew that the designs were not eligible to be copyrighted. The Supreme Court ruled that the federal copyright protection does extend to designs appearing on the actual cheerleaders' uniforms. In conjunction with this ruling, the Supreme Court put forth a new test for determining whether a design is eligible for copyright protection. Quote, a feature incorporated into a design of a useful article is eligible for copyright protection only if, one, can be perceived as a two- or three-dimensional work of art separate from the useful article, and two, would qualify as a protectable pictorial graphic or sculptural work, either on its own or fixed in some other tangible medium of expression, if it were imagined separately from the useful article in which it is incorporated, unquote. So... Boiling all that down, under this new standard, Varsity's copyright protection only extends to the designs on their fabric and not the actual like dimensions of the uniform. So they can't prohibit anybody from making a uniform with the same V-shaped neckline, the same regular dimensions of it. However, they can cop can like stop somebody from copying the designs and the shapes that they put on to the basic platform of the cheerleader's uniform. This is a major deal for the apparel industry, as prior to this, like fashion designs weren't considered copyrightable at all. But now, under the Star Athletica ruling, if you can meet those two very simple qualifications, you are now eligible to copyright your designs. The first form of copyright infringement we're going to talk about is direct infringement. This, as the name implies, is when you are the party who is responsible for directly infringing upon another's copyright. Now, the copyright infringement can come from the unauthorized reproduction, distribution, displaying, or performing of another's copyrighted work or from the creation of a derivative work based off of a copywise work. The second form of copyright infringement that we're going to talk about is contributory infringement. Contributory infringement occurs when one knowingly induces, causes, or materially contributes to copyright infringement by another. When we're looking at contributory infringement, the person being confused, they need not participate or commit the copyright infringement act themselves, but could still be held liable as contributory infringers should they have had knowledge or reason to know of the infringement that took place. So when you look at secondary infringers such as contributory such as contributory infringers, what you need to look at is the relationship between the direct infringer direct infringer, and the level of knowledge. One would need more than mere knowledge that their service could be used in an infringing manner and would need to pass the substantial non-infringing use test. A good way to look at 
going about infringers, another question that stems from it would be, does the secondary infringer provide services with the direct infringer, thus creating an ongoing relationship with them, or are they just providing them with a product and no further relation? The final form of copyright infringement I'm going to discuss is vicarious infringement. Vicarious infringement occurs when one party is held vicariously liable for a infringement act by another party in which they have I'm go with responsibility and control over the actions of the direct infringer or some financial interest or gain from the act of infringement. This sort of infringement is traditionally held for companies and individuals within companies when a subordinate infringes upon the copyright of an outside party. The party that is being held vicariously liable for the infringement is being held liable through the doctrine of respondeat superior which is a common law principle that holds the employer legally responsible for the actions of an employee that falls within the scope and nature of their job. And when one party is being brought up on a vicarious infringement claim, the actual knowledge is not the actual knowledge of the infringing act is irrelevant for the determination of whether they are vicariously responsible for the infringement that occurred. It's only fitting seeing as how we just discussed the types of copyright infringements there are that we look at some of the exceptions to copyright. The most common one is fair use. Fair use allows for the use of copyrighted works for criticisms, comments. Now, to qualify for fair use, there's roughly a four-part test that the courts will look at to determine if you have overstepped the grounds for fair use. Those four factors are purpose and character use, the amount used, nature of the copyrighted work, and effect of the use on the potential market. Now we're gonna walk these down from easiest to explain to kinda of the more tricky one, opening up with the amount used. Generally, courts will look at how much of a copyrighted work you use when smaller portions of a larger work is used. Courts have generally deemed it is permissible to use smaller portions of a larger work, albeit, as long as those smaller portions don't get at the heart of what the copyright work is. The next one that's probably the easiest to explain would be nature of the copyrighted work. When assessing the nature of a copyrighted work, courts typically allow more leeway into fair use when you use already published works that are out there in the public domain more than unpublished works. And they typically allow for a greater scope of fair use 
for highly creative works. The next one, and that would be purpose and character of use. This and this course would examine the use of the copyrighted product and deference you have provided to make your use of the copyright work unique from the original work and the original nature of the work that you are looking at. Now, the most complicated one, at least to me, is the effect of the use on the potential market. This section, courts would generally look at whether the use that you put into place of the copyrighted work would damage or negate the potential market for the original work. That one, it has a lot of moving parts. So you have to look at the licensing revenue, um, the traditional development markets, and other and other sort of business acumen that I am not the most privy to, to see how your use of the copyrighted work could have impaired the general success and marketability of the work in which you have copy, which you have used. And with that, this is your host T signing off. I appreciate y'all for tuning in to this week's episode, and hope to see y'all again on the next one.